1: For more information, visit internationalculinarycenter.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
2: Good morning. You're listening to In The Drink on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli. Uh, This week, I am here today with a friend of mine, André Comper. He's the uh, chef sommelier of Benoit Restaurant here in New York City. Uh, But before we get started, I do want... To make just a little bit of announcement, Uh, I'm very much looking forward to this Sunday, August 11th, 2013. We're going to be having a Hawaiian barbecue here at Roberto's to benefit Heritage Radio Network. I hope to see you all there. Um, It starts at 4 to 5 p.m. with a little happy hour, and the main event is going to be 5 to 9. Uh, There's going to be delicious food from Maysville, Heritage Foods, of course, uh, Roberto's Catering, um, and lots, lots more. We're going to be providing some drinks from Anfora, Sombra Mezcal, and Astral Tequila, as well as Empire Brewing Company. We're going to be providing some of the drinks. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hope to see you here. I'll be here uh, mixing up some drinks with my good friend Adam Schumann, who's been on the show from uh, from Skernik Wines, and uh, hope to see you here. All right, so without further ado, uh, Andre, welcome to uh, In The Drink. It's good to have you.
3: Thank you very much. Good morning. It's a, a pleasure for me to be with you today.
2: Yes, thank you. Uh, always impressed uh, to have someone come so early in the morning who uh, who works in restaurants for a living. So uh,
3: very much appreciate that. Was a good excuse for me to leave earlier
2: yesterday night. So thank you again. <laughs> uh, so Andres, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, your experience. You know, I think you have a little bit more experience than some of the people who've been on the show in the past. You've uh, over twenty years in the restaurant industry. That's correct. Starting in uh, in France in Toulouse, where you where you grew up. Absolutely. Tell us about some of the the early experiences that you had with food and with wine and. What, uh, what were some of the reasons that you wanted to go into the industry? Because from what I understand, you were the first one in your family to, to kind of make this jump into the industry, and, and
3: what, what made you do it? Yes, uh, my, uh, uh, in my family, most of the uh, men's were either in the military or gendarmes, to be a little more precise. Uh, but uh, because I'm coming from a, a big family on both sides, uh, on my mother and my father's side, I've been always growing up with know family reunions um, and having home cooking from my grandmother and my mother um, and early on was very sensitive to seasonal produce what was on the garden and um, and it just gave me that uh, idea of going to school and originally to become a chef um, rather than being just in the front of the house uh, in the restaurant and then when I started school in Toulouse, I get two great teachers who were uh, passionate about wine and give me that wine, uh, or that my first involvement with wine. And uh, So this was a uh, restaurant, hotel sort of school? Training. It was a program of two years where we do a first year a kitchen, pastry, and front of the house. And how old were you at this time? 16. Uh,
2: 16. You knew that this was... I feel I feel like all my friends graduating college were like I don't know what I want to do, and they're you know twenty one, twenty two. You knew
3: at sixteen. Well, before that, it was like actually uh, by uh, fourth grade, maybe the equivalent of fourth grade in France, the same. Uh I remember having to do a little uh, uh, writing of what will be my ideas of you know growing up? And most of my friends will say fire, firemen or, you know, policemen and so on. But uh, I was like, I want to become a chef and I will prepare some uh, steam beans and, uh, you know, I had some few menus available already. Um, so, yes, early on, I was, you know, really interested in the food, um, eating well. Uh, when we had this uh, family reunion, I will stay at the table when every kid will try to leave as early as possible to go and run out in the garden. I was just, you know, interested in licking the plates in front of me. So. And you had, uh, in terms
2: of family members who were great cooks, was there anyone who was really inspirational? Was it a mother, grandmother, your father? Who- Both
3: my, my grandmother on my mother's side and my mother, who was able to do, you know, very, uh, like, you know, everyday meal, Mm -hmm. uh, enjoyable. And then when it was a little more festive, get all this, you know, attention, being in the kitchen at six o'clock in the morning to make sure that when everybody's showing up at noon, we get, you know, a big table and a big festive uh, table to to present. Uh, And my grandmother also for all those, you know, go to the garden, pick up the vegetables and then, you know, do the soup or go to my grandfather's garden and pick up those uh, snails that were <laughs> farming and just you know, prepare them um, with my father I was remembering uh, going to uh, the little mountain outside of uh, uh, Carcassonne uh, picking up the wild asparagus the season is very short mm-hmm. but it was fun to just you know, hike for a couple of hours and then get back with this you know, little treasure for us and make you know, a good omelette out of it
2: Wow, that's an, an experience that growing up in Queens, I uh, can say I never once had. <laughs> um, so your first job in a restaurant in France.
3: Well, before I get to the school, I mm-hmm. wanted to make sure I knew a little bit of what's going on in the restaurant. So just a local pizzeria next to where I was living, except to have me for a trade for a week. And what I did mainly did for those, it was peeling potato and washing salad. But (laughs) was us see how the restaurant was operating. And then at school, I get, you know, very quickly, uh, I really quickly learn how to, you know, get to kitchen, prep stuff, uh, pastry, uh, which is very meticulous. Mm -hmm. uh, You don't mess up with the uh, grams and uh, the proportion. Uh, And the front of the house was a little more difficult for me because I was kind of shy when I was little. And one of the good things the teacher was able to show me was um, it was not necessarily more difficult to approach the table when you're shy than burning and cutting yourself in the kitchen every single day. So, so the, second, the second year I did work, uh, I did get the specialis- mm-hmm. specialization as front of the house. And then after that, they were just starting the program of sommellerie uh, so I was the second uh, year of uh, uh, this program, which was a, a one-year, very intense program of learning about wine, from how to make wine to how to taste wine, what are the different region appellation. Of course, being in France, it was mainly focused with France. Um, and I just, you know, start to learn about Outside of France, when I first took my job in uh, London, where I spent about a year and, you know, give me this open minded that there were not only wine in France.
2: All right. One more question about your school I'm so fascinated. I wish that I went to a school like this. What do you think was the most valuable lesson that you learned during your time there? What would you what would you tell 16 year old you say, pay more attention to that because this is this is the good stuff.
3: Well, I think it's the uh, uh, contagious passion mm-hmm. that the teacher had to to present. They were not only taking care of students and make sure they will get a degree, they were sharing their passion, and they will do a lot of those, you know extra step to make you participate in some tasting outside of the school hours, do some field trip to visit the winery. Uh, organize a, a vendange uh, train uh, where you will spend three days in the winery, looking at you know what's going on from the grapes who are getting cut to starting the fermentation. Mm-hmm. So all that was just like, okay, giving you more uh, ideas on what that business is all about, and uh, and you know the the wine is. Really a message from a farmer who's taking care of the land and the the grapes for years. Mm -hmm. And every year he's presenting you his new baby uh, with a new vintage.
2: And why do you think that you were drawn to wine as opposed to maybe going the route of being a general manager or... Uh, what was it about the wine? Was it that connection to the land and, and your experiences with, with maybe with your father and you know harvesting the asparagus and how exciting that was? Is it is there something? Are you a man
3: of the earth? Is I, my question. <laughs> I have yes. Uh, I've been living in New York for sixteen years now, uh, but I am yes. I, I, I am happy when I'm outside, uh, and uh, I like that connection where. Okay, Mother Nature gave us many things. Mm-hmm. We should just, you know, not only take advantage of it, but preserve it and and pass it on. So,
2: okay. So your first job in uh, in London, you take this move from France to London, and what do you, what do you think is the the difference between the way French Somalis come up and the experience in in London and here in New York? How do you think that everyone kind of approaches that job differently?
3: It's uh, well. For for me, it was like a a big step, a big jump, because uh, I was not necessarily too interested at school on learning foreign language, Spanish or or English. Um, And uh, after graduating, I worked in a restaurant for a year. So I was starting to get a little comfortable on how to approach the customer, build my wine list, organize a wine cellar and then sell the wine to the guests, approaching the table with the trolley of digestive and having them a little Armagnac and so. Once I get to London, it was like a big shock. For the six first first month, I couldn't even approach the table. I didn't even understand what the customer would ask. Uh, so it was it was like a big cultural shock. Uh, now, what would be the difference for me from my experience going to London and coming to the US? I would say the <laughs> British accent was actually a little more difficult to get familiar with, <laughs> um, and uh, they will have big uh, or oh, at the time I was there, they were big knowledge into some specific area. So France, yes, was a, a, a big a big part. Uh, then it was mainly New Zealand. Uh, when I came into the U.S., I thought the 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 variety was much more general uh Mm -hmm. of course from the u.s wine that i learned how to discover uh but also from south america from uh, eastern europe from a little a little more which is maybe what i like the most in new york is to be exposed to every part of the world and then what brought you to new york uh good coincidence i would say i was in uh, a village between nice and monaco and uh, the owner, when I did the first uh, season, uh, sold this chateau to an American couple from uh, Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And this American couple were interested in keeping the chef, the pastry chef, the maitre d' and the sommelier to have a, a flow with taking over. But they also wanted me to come to the U.S. and see how uh, a French restaurant in Rye, New York, where welcoming American guests in a French restaurant. So I had a better way or a better experience to welcome the American who will travel to France and you know be a little more welcoming when they get there. Uh, so I get my first introduction in, uh, in the US there. I did my second season and at the end of the season I was like, okay, uh, I need to choose. And uh, the opportunity to come back to New York was a little stronger. So
2: is that where you met Alain Ducasse who you work with currently
3: actually just before I left to, uh, to come to the US uh, I was in uh, S Village and I had my apartment in uh, uh, Nice and uh, I knew the, wine, the, the, the chef sommelier at the weekends in Monaco mm-hmm. and I said well look I'm, I'm done with my work in end of October I'm uh, moving in New York in, New York in December and I have that November month free. Is it possible to do a training at the, at the, at the weekends? And to visit the cellar as well. I said, sure, no problem. We can have you for t- two weeks. And uh, for those two weeks, I was training with Gérard Margeon, who is now the wine director of the entire group of Alain Ducasse. And those two weeks training was intense and with him on the floor every day. And... Uh, when I heard that Alain Ducasse was opening in 2000 at the uh, Essex House, I contacted Gérard Margent. Apparently, I, gave, I, I left with uh, uh, some good memories because uh, he remembered me when I called him. Uh, we met in Paris just briefly, and uh, I took uh, the position to do the opening uh, at the Essex House.
2: Wow. All right.
3: I want to hear a little bit more about the Essex House
2: opening and um, of course we're going to talk about all the great things that you're doing at Benoit um, but we're going to do that right after a short break we'll be right back We're back on In the Drink and Heritage Radio org, And uh, it's me, Joe Cabanelli, here with Andre Comper, the chef sommelier of Benoit here in New York City. Um, we're gonna, Before we get to his experience at Benoit, I definitely want to ask about the opening of the Essex House with the Lynn Ducasse, um, a, a classic restaurant, certainly one of the, the greatest restaurants in New York uh, at, of its time. Um, I say that uh, uh, being someone who had actually never been, <laughs> but uh, it was sort of always one of those places where it's like one day when I can afford to go to this place, I will, I will go. But uh, tell us a little bit about about the opening of the uh, of the Essex House and and your time with Alain Ducasse there.
3: Well, I've been uh, with Alain Ducasse for almost nine and some change years, um, and the, the the challenge of uh, the Essex House was. Amazing uh, for many, many reasons. It was the first uh, restaurant Alain Ducasse opened in the US. Um, and it was putting the standard as high as is done in places like uh, Monte Carlo, the weekends, and uh, uh, the Plaza Athene in Paris. Um, where in both places he reached the maximum reward of three Michelin star. And that that was a big deal uh, at the time. I think no one
2: had opened up a second three Michelin star restaurant, especially one that was far far away from the other one. And, And everyone was like, how is this possible that the
3: quality can be the same? And that, that one of the thing of uh, uh, Alain Ducasse being a, a pioneer on many ways and uh, uh, showing that you know everything is possible. Um, he did the same with the uh, Essex House. It was you know a little uh, surprising for the New York scene to have a restaurant where you will have fine dining on dinner only. You have your Table for the night. You're not you know turning tables. It's the same experience that you will have in uh, the three Michelin star in Paris or in Europe. Um, so it was you know sometimes welcome, sometimes not as welcome. Uh, but we work really hard. and uh, through the years, we won the uh, respect from the guests who were coming back. Uh, most of the uh, guests will say, you're saving us a trip to Paris, and we mm-hmm. enjoy that very much. Um, and uh, uh, we did, yeah, we did uh, have a lot of fun, uh, a lot of hard work too, but uh, that comes with it.
2: Yeah, there's such a difference between the New York dining scene, even fine dining in in a lot of places in New York, and uh, certainly fine dining in Paris. But even I feel like a more casual place. If you are not in a main city in Paris, in France, or or in Italy, in a a a nice restaurant that isn't maybe a super fine restaurant, you're, the table is yours for the night. There's no there's no second seating. There's no all right. Uh, if you show up a half hour late, we right. need that table back. You <laughs> know, there's we, none we of that. We kick you out, or you, will <laughs> to you on
3: your lunch to get your coffee. No, that was not no, that was not not
0: the, that that's
2: not the case. So, how was your experience from going from the super high end? Uh, one of the, the few three Michelin star restaurants in the world. And you'd worked at other um, uh, very, very uh, fine dining Michelin star restaurants to kind of going back to something a little bit more casual, like your time at Le Hall or Benoit, which, which do you prefer? And how are you able to gra- grab some of your experiences from the fine dining and utilize them in your service in a more casual place?
3: Well, I think it comes with the age. Um, as I'm getting older, uh, I like to have fun. And uh, I think being in a casual ambiance like at Benoit uh, allowed me to have fun, to be a little more decontract, uh, and uh, to still have the same performance without being stiff or pretentious uh, to approach the guest and, uh, and and make sure that I... Pass that message, and the the guest is having fun as well.
2: Yeah, and it seems like you're having a lot of fun at Benoit. I get your uh, I get your newsletter. It's all the things that Andre is pouring um, this week. Uh, you have the the Napa systems. Is that a, the Napa uh, technology system Napa technology allowing system. me to pour
3: by the ounce some prestige bottles that you will never do otherwise, uh, which is you know very. Uh, it it was like, okay, is that going to be interesting enough for the guest or not? Well, in fact, it, it is. And uh, it is a great opportunity to open some very rare bottles that you will never do uh, and offering an Ikem by the ounce. Uh, because an ounce of Ikem is just enough for a taste and having you know a memorable uh, evening and moment. Uh, after your dessert or as of your dessert without, you know, taking a loan and breaking the bank.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, maybe an ounce of you can, but can you really enjoy or understand um, a, a, a burgundy, let's say a red burgundy that you're pouring with having just one ounce of it?
3: Oh, yes, absolutely. An, I mean, an ounce is three centiliters. So most of the restaurant will pour a five ounce glass. Uh, it's a fifth of a glass, so it's it's actually a little more like you know, a little more like just a sip. Uh, when you're doing a professional tasting, most of the time they pour you a little less than an ounce, mm-hmm. and, and you're still able to taste and you know, find out if you like it and will purchase it or not. So.
2: Absolutely. So, what have been some of the more exciting wines. How do you choose these wines that that go into into the system?
3: Well, a little bit seasonally. Uh, It doesn't necessarily make sense to have a big, powerful wine when it's summer and you are speaking of uh, Mm -hmm. asparagus or something light. Uh, But um, there were, for me, some uh, unapproachable wines, such as Petrus, that I wanted to give an opportunity to Mr. Everybody Uh, so uh, I did finish my last bottle of uh, Petrus about a few weeks ago I'm looking for some new uh, vintage maybe to put on but that was really well received for the past year and a half now that I have this program uh, everybody was so enthusiastic of okay you know I have always heard about Petrus I have never got a chance to taste it and spending $48 for an ounce was like Beyond the experience, it was like, you know, being like a kid in a candy store. Mm -hmm. It was like, wow, (laughs) thank you. So do these wines evolve at all? Is the first sip any different
2: from the the very last?
3: I'm planning on doing a a little more serious tasting with just professional and have a blind tasting of uh, a bottle. The preserving system allowed me to keep the bottle fresh for 60 days. Um, I've done the experience with uh, uh, Mr. Gigal when he came in town because I have this uh, uh, London 88 vintage by the ounce. Um, and he came for lunch with a journalist. And uh, I said, Well, I know it's lunch, I know it's business, but you can have a taste of one ounce. And uh, he said, Well, sure, especially on the 88 vintage, I, I like to have a taste. And the journalist was like, uh, okay, but how long that bottle has been open? I said, oh, only 30 days. So <laughs> she looked at me a little scared. And I said, what I'd like to do is I'll give you an ounce of this wine that has been open for 30 days and I'll open a fresh bottle. This way you can have an ounce of you know, something just coming up from the cellar. And uh, Philippe Gigal was like, you know, I'm amazed because you will not have told me those bottles were open in so many different times fair. I will never guess. Uh, I think the uh, bottle open in the preserving system showed a little more open, uh, maybe nose, uh, but you know it was it was very
2: yes. like. Tiny. And at that point, it could be a bottle variation difference. Maybe if you open them up together at the same time, absolutely, the other one would have been more absolutely. Open. absolutely. And you don't know. Oh, that, well, that, I mean, that's, that's really exciting. I, I look at your list, um, and certainly from your, from your newsletter, and I'm like, oh, I do really want to try that. Oh, I really want to try that. And some of these wines, you know, I, I'm not going out and spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars on, on bottles when I go out to eat. Yeah, so, maybe <laughs> <laughs> so being able to have a, a, a taste is, uh, is super exciting. And I think that it, uh, it is really emblematic of uh, of your of your personality as well, which is that you know that wi- that you should, wine is something to be shared, um, and that it's something that that uh, is joyful and it should be very happy. and And I was asking you uh, earlier because I had read that you have some of the wines from Alain Casas' private cellar, um, and I want you to share. I want you to share this uh, as well for the, the listeners. But I was asking you, like, you know, if they're from his private cellar. Do you ever come across the, the case where Alain would say, oh, this wine right here, only if they're a real wine enthusiast, they really get it. Or only if I really like someone, should we, can you sell that wine? Or
3: tell me what, what, your, what your thought process is on some of those. Well, at some point many years ago, I will have that attitude. But I think, as uh, Alain Ducasse himself told me a couple of times, uh, Andre, you get uh, Americanized. Um, it's... Uh, I don't think I am holding anything. It's uh, Sometimes I will highly suggest that this 89 vintage is a little tight and you should consider the 88. Now, you still want the 89. I have no issue. I will give you this 89. I will open the bottle and I will, you know, uh, make sure... Y- it shows as best as it can. So if I need to decant it or double decant it, I will I will do what needs to be done. But yes, we. I'm very happy with the treasure that I have in the cellar. Uh, those bottles came in the US 10 years ago. Uh, most of them, I did order them and receive the container when they show up. Um, so they are a little bit my little babies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but being able to bought them 10 years ago, I uh, have always known how those bottles have been kept i know they are just pristine condition. so uh, i'm happy to share them with a the guest and because it's benoit because it's a bistro um, i'm not doing like crazy markup and for most of those bottles you will find on the list will be pretty much the price i will pay them if i could find them in an auction or anywhere in the market. Some great values on those on this list. I want to commend
2: you for that. Some really, really excellent values. Also wanted to ask you um, about the list. Your list highlights which wines you have that are organic and it You should almost highlight which ones aren't organic because almost every single wine on your list is made uh, through organic processes. Why do you feel like that's something that is is important for you to focus on?
3: It's when you get the choice and being in New York, we have so many options. You can pick something that is not good or something that is good and pretty much at the same price point. So, if I do have the choice uh I like to highlight the people who are just again respecting mother nature uh and give them a little bit of credit for it
2: yes i I agree and I mean you think of alain Ducasse uh and French food, and um I think for a lot of people, maybe what comes to mind is something that is uh is very fancy, but you have the the joy of uh the bistro the high energy bistro very very nice welcoming high quality people such as yourself and a wine list that is uh really exciting to look at um you guys are doing really really fun things i did want to ask you so you can't you grew up in in france obviously um worked at many french restaurants there are a few wines on the list that are outside of france but where where do you think where are your most interesting regions outside of france where do you drink if you're not drinking french wine
3: well there is maybe one of my favorite wine outside of France will be especially in the summertime uh, an asciutico from Santorini. Um, I came across the bottle of uh, Sigalas uh, when I first visited Greece, uh, and I was not even in Santorini. I was in the little island of uh, Naxos, and when I asked the liquor store, okay, what what should I drink? What you know? What is the most beautiful bottle of white that i could enjoy he pointed this out and uh, i fall in love um i am also uh, very interested on a small new region that we don't really talk about yet uh, such as slovenia and i think there is many great producers uh, doing a lot of very good wines in uh, slovenia mm-hmm. that just need a little more exposure
2: Absolutely. I think that's the tricky thing with a lot of those Eastern European countries that have some really interesting producers is the representation. Sometimes they need to have some better, uh, you know, bigger, whether it's a, a more professional distributor or, or, or just working more to have better representation in, in the country or, or a, a Somali like yourself to show them on the list, to get it, uh, to get the word out there. But I agree. Slovenia has some very, very interesting wines, um, so that's it. Uh, anyway, I guess we have to finish up now. But uh, Andre Comper, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I'm going to encourage everyone, please, go check out uh, Benoit for some uh, – just s- such a cool wine list. I I be, be, I was uh, antisocial looking at this list. We got here a little bit early, and uh, I just stuck my nose in it. And every time I look at that Andre selections um, – you're doing just such cool things. Congratulations. Yes, and to,
3: to maybe give you a, a, an extra motivation to come and see us, anybody who's uh, following the show and uh, uh, hearing us uh, in the air, uh, when you come to the restaurant and give the code of uh, Heri- Heritage Radio, we'll be very happy to give you a selection of uh, five orders, either at the bar with a glass of wine or into the dining room at the restaurant. It would be a pleasure to welcome you.
2: Is there a, a time limit based on this?
3: We'll offer that through Labor Day weekend, uh, 2013.
2: Okay, through Labor Day weekend. So yes, please go go to Benoit um, and give the passcode Heritage Radio through Labor Day 2013, and they're going to hook you up over there. Thank you for doing that. That's very that's very generous. It's
3: a pleasure. We we love to have you.
2: All right, and thanks to all of you for listening. This has been in the drink on Heritage Radio. Uh, network.org and hope to see you at the Hawaiian Barbecue on Sunday. Thanks a lot. Bye.
1: Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website,